In this series, we're talking about mental health matters because mental health matters. And recently I had the opportunity to travel to Europe with some family members. And while I was there, I heard the sobering story of one man's struggle with mental health. He was raised in an upper middle class home. It was a devout Christian home, had a religious heritage. In fact, both his dad and his grandfather were pastors. Uh, and yet, this, uh, this Christian faith that was in his life did not protect him from struggles with mental health. In fact, when he became a young adult, he struggled to hold a job. Uh, you know, so he wrestled with unemployment and how that makes you feel. And he also experienced some painful uh, losses in his love life and, you know, the pain that comes with that. And it, it, it all, you know, pulled together to make him feel a bit depressed. He reached out when he was 27 years old to the legacy of his family, his, his heritage, and he decided to become a preacher. And he became a missionary to the poor who lived in his part of his, the country where he lived. And he particularly had a heart for peasant farmers and for those who worked in the coal mines. And in that way, he was very much like Jesus. Very, very interesting. But after a while, the leaders of his church believed he exhibited some behavior that they didn't want in their pastor, and so they removed him from his position. And that left him feeling rejected by his church, and so he ended up rejecting the church that rejected him. He started drinking heavily, he didn't eat well, he did not sleep well, and he turned for solace to find solace in brothels. In other words, he began to live in a way that didn't match his moral convictions. And by making those choices, it did something dark in his mental health. His mental health began to deteriorate rapidly. He described himself as feeling like a broken pitcher that could never be fixed. Isn't that interesting? Well, anyway, uh, <coughs> from his childhood, he enjoyed drawing, he enjoyed painting, and so he turned to his artistic expressions as a way, I think, of distracting himself from the inner depression and loneliness he felt. In fact, he poured himself into his artwork so much that he became almost manic. As his mental health deteriorated, his, his art production increased, and he got to the point where he was painting as much as an oil painting every single day. But by the end uh, of his 37th year, uh, tragically, he died by suicide, and at that time, Vincent Van Gogh was considered a failure and a madman by most of the people who knew him. His brother Theo was with him when he died, and his brother Theo said that Van Gogh's last words were these, <clears throat> the sadness will last forever. And my heart just broke for him when I heard his story and I thought about the pain he felt. And I just wish someone could have helped him experience healing from his mental illness. Last week I shared with you guys my family's own struggle with mental health and mental illness. I've had family members who have struggled with dark depression, with panic attacks, with nervous breakdowns, with schizophrenia, and tragically I've lost loved ones to death by suicide. So mental health matters to me. It matters a lot. And I want you to know, if you're struggling with your mental health, 
My heart breaks for you. This series is for you. And my prayer is it will help you. This series is also for those of you who have a loved one struggling with mental illness. I believe we're going to give you some tools to help loved ones. And this series is also for those of you who might say, you know, pastor, I think my mental health is actually pretty good. And that's great. I I believe these tools can help you maintain your mental health. And above all, I hope that this series will remove any stigmas that sometimes get attached to mental health discussions and issues, especially within the church. Because Church ought to be the safest place to be honest about what you're thinking and how you're feeling, right? And, and our, my, our prayers at City Church is that kind of place, okay? So today I'm going to give you a new tool. I want to, I want to begin by reviewing a little bit from last week. Uh, so if you remember last week, I described the dynamic mixture that makes us up as human beings. <clears throat> and uh, I pictured us as having, this, the scriptures picture us as having a spirit that's our innermost being that's most like God. We have a soul, which is our mind, our will, and our emotions. That's the inner person. And then we have the body, which is, you know, our body, our five senses, and your brain. And a part of why I wanted us to to understand this dynamic mixture of who we are is because in pursuit of mental health, you can't separate your mental health from the other aspects of who you are. Your mental health is is intertwined with your spiritual health and your emotional health and your relational health and your physical health. And so as we pursue mental health together, we're going to have to address all different kinds of aspects of who we are. And if you remember, we used a metaphor uh, to describe some, some what we call tools that can help us in pursuit of mental health. And we described it as having like a toolbox. Because when you have a toolbox, you have different tools that serve different purposes, right? And so you don't use one tool for everything. You have different tools for different purposes. And so what I said last week is that we have counselors and psychologists. They have certain tools to help us, and we want to take advantage of those. Psychiatrists and mental health professionals, they have certain tools to help us. We want to take advantage of those. And then pastors and priests also have tools. And uh, I I just want to make sure, you know, that I give you the tools that I've learned about that can help us all experience mental health and mental healing. Now, if if you weren't here last week, the first tool I gave us in our pursuit of mental health is the tool of truth. And if you remember we said truth, you take this tool and if you can hold on to it, truth influences the way you think because it influences your belief system and your belief systems influence how you feel and how you act. And so if you did not get to hear that message, you can go online and watch it at city.church watch. Now this week, I'm going to give you a, a second tool. And the second tool is one that you use when you do something wrong or when somebody else wrongs you. Because how you respond when you do something wrong or when somebody wrongs you dramatically influences your mental health. Now, Jesus spoke about this tool frequently. And in fact, it was such a core part of his teaching that when he taught his followers a model prayer that he wanted them to pray, it was, that, it was a central part of that prayer. Some of you know this prayer as the Lord's Prayer. Some of you know it as the Our Father. And at the core of that prayer is this phrase, this prayer. Forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. Can you say that with me? And forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. 
So the tool uh, Jesus surfaces here is the tool of forgiveness. And forgiveness is one of the tools that can help us experience mental health. And I think it's so interesting that he made it a core part of the model prayer that he taught all of his disciples because that tells me that we are regularly going to need to ask for forgiveness and we are regularly going to need to give forgiveness. Right, right. And so it has to be just a part of the cycle of our life. And so the tool that Jesus is talking about is forgiveness. And I like to compare forgiveness to the tool of a hammer. Because you know how, and this is a man hammer, by the way. You know, I don't use no sissy hammer. This is a man hammer. And uh, uh, the reason I compare this tool to a hammer is because it has two sides that serve similar kinds of purposes, right? So, you know, one part of the hammer is for driving in nails, and then the other side, the claw, is for pulling nails out. Two similar purposes. In the same way, forgiveness is really one tool that serves two similar purposes. It's about you getting the forgiveness you need, and it's about you giving the forgiveness you need to give, okay? So let's talk about the first side of this tool, which is, Father, forgive us our debts. This is about getting forgiveness. Now, why is this such an important part of mental health? Well, one of the most intense, painful burdens that you can feel is the burden of guilt, Guilt is the mental, emotional burden we feel when we do something wrong, or what the Jewish and Christian scriptures call sin. When we sin, we feel the burden. And uh, this burden can come upon us and make make us feel uh, differently about ourselves, about life, about others. And you know, it's sort of one thing when somebody else causes us pain, but it's another thing when we cause pain to ourselves by our own decisions. And so one of the great heroes in the Jewish scriptures, King David, wrote about how he felt when he sinned. And so let me, let me unpack the sin, and then I'm going to show you how he described how he felt. So King David was considered the greatest king in Israel's history, and uh, he was a devoted man of God. He was called a man after God's own heart and was devoted to his faith. But there was a certain season where he let his guard down. He had sent his armies off to fight in battle, but he stayed home. And while he was home, he noticed a beautiful married woman named Bathsheba. And what began with a look turned into lust within him. And then he pursued Bathsheba, committed adultery with her. And then when she got pregnant and he was afraid it was going to become discovered, he wanted to cover up what he did. And so he sent for her husband, Uriah, Uriah, to come from the the battle lines and to come home to his wife. And he got him drunk, hoping he would sleep with his wife. But Uriah was so committed to his fellow soldiers, he refused to sleep with his wife while they were at the battle line. He was that dedicated. And it, it just, it messed David up. He didn't know what to do. And so he sent Uriah back and then David did something that would have been considered unthinkable by those who knew him. He conspired to have Uriah murdered. And what David did went against everything he believed. And it brought the intense pain and mental anguish of guilt into his life. And he described how he felt in Psalm 38, where he wrote, My guilt has overwhelmed me like a burden too heavy to bear. 
My wounds fester and are loathsome because of my sinful folly. I am bowed down and brought low. All day long I go about mourning. My back is filled with searing pain. There is no health in my body. I am feeble and utterly crushed. I groan in anguish of heart. You see, when, when he sinned, he brought the burden of guilt upon himself and it impacted not just his mental health, but his, the way he felt, his emotions, and it even impacted his body, every part of who he was. Have you ever felt like David felt? Have you ever considered that the, the anguish that you're feeling right now could be guilt? You know, there have been seasons, a couple of seasons in my life where I went against my own beliefs and acted in ways that surprised me. And to be honest, they were some of the most terrible days of my life, the way it made me feel about life and about me. And so I, I think it's important that we face and deal with guilt. But at this point, I do want to distinguish guilt, which I think uh, God created us to feel and serves a purpose. I want to distinguish guilt from shame. Because some of you may be feeling shame. And so if you remember the first week, I, I told you I'm not going to try to be an expert in areas where I'm not an expert. So I, I did some study on a person who's an expert in this field, and she was very helpful to me. Her name is Dr. Brene Brown. She's a professor of sociology at the University of Houston, and she's done extensive research on guilt and on shame and distinguishing the two, you know. And, and so this is how she distinguishes the difference between shame, which I don't think God created you to feel, and guilt, which I do think God created us to feel, okay? Shame focuses on the person. Guilt focuses on the behavior, okay? Shame focuses on who I am. Guilt focuses on what I've done. Shame says, I'm bad, I'm a mistake. Guilt says, I did something bad. I made a mistake. And there's a critical distinction between shame and guilt. Shame gives you no redemptive path out of it because it's all about how you view yourself. Guilt gives you a redemptive path, a way out from under the burden. And so I wanna uh, say to you that if, if you're feeling, you have to discern whether you're feeling shame or guilt, okay? That's why I'm going through this exercise. Because uh, Dr. Uh, Brown's research shows that shame directly leads people into addiction, depression, bullying, violence, suicide, and uh, eating disorders. But the same study shows that when a person identifies genuine guilt, admits it, and resolves it, it leads to a decrease in those same destructive behaviors. And that's why I think discerning the difference between guilt and shame is so important. So, God did not create you to feel shame. So then how did shame get in your life? If you're struggling with shame, somebody had to speak it into your life. Because you're not, you're not created by God to feel shame. Somebody had to speak it into your life. And so what I'm, what I'm, what I'm gonna say to you, now I'm gonna go back to the tool of truth that we talked about last week, is you have to get the shameful thoughts out of you. You're not bad, you're not a mistake, you're not worthless. You are created in God's image and he has a purpose and plan for your life and he loves you. That's who you are, right? So if you're struggling with shame, hold on to that. 
If you would say, you know, Pastor, though, I think what I'm struggling with is guilt. And I, I do believe God created us to feel guilt because he loves us. He wants guilt to draw, the burden of guilt to draw us to his grace, to his forgiveness, so he can restore us. It serves a redemptive purpose. So what do you do if you believe you're feeling the burden of guilt? Will you come to uh, the Father for relief and you pray what Jesus said to pray. Father, forgive us our debts. Now, let me just say to those of you who are new to your spiritual journey, maybe you're, you're still not sure what you think about God and Jesus and Christianity and all, I want you to know that that's fine wherever you are in your journey, you're welcome here. Uh, this is a safe community where you can explore our faith. But guilt is one of those issues where it does matter what you believe. Because at some point you have to decide if you do have a sin debt and how you're gonna get rid of it, how you're gonna deal with it. And this is why at City Church we're so focused on helping people believe in Jesus because we, we believe that when you put your trust in Jesus, something very profound happens to your sin debt. This is how the Apostle Paul, one of the great uh, Christian thinkers and leaders in the very first century, this is how he describes what happens when we believe in Jesus. This is uh, Colossians chapter two, verse 13. Paul wrote, when you were dead in your sins, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins. Having canceled the charge of our legal sin debt, there's the sin debt, canceled the charge of our legal sin debt which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it, where? To the cross. And so we believe through our faith in Jesus that our sin debt was nailed to the cross. When Jesus died on the cross, he paid our sin debt. And when you put your trust in him, it releases you from that sin debt. And that's why it's so important uh, for us to embrace that. And so for some of you, if you've never even believed in Jesus yet, that's how you take up the tool of forgiveness, by believing him and believing that your sin debt was paid by him. And I'm gonna give you an opportunity to do that in just a moment. But some of you, uh, you're a believer already. That's not the issue. The issue is you have guilt in your life and it's unresolved. And so what are we supposed to do when we do feel the burden of guilt? Well, we pray, Father, forgive us our sins. And so one of Jesus' disciples, John, who became a leader in the early church, talks about what happens when we confess our sin and when we ask for forgiveness. It's very powerful. This is 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, where John wrote... <coughs> If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And that word unrighteousness, you can just fill in, that's guilt. When you confess your sin and when you ask for forgiveness, God promises to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. He releases you from the burden of guilt. It's a beautiful, beautiful experience. And I want to give you a chance to experience that in a moment as well. So that's the first side of the tool is receiving forgiveness or asking for forgiveness. Let, now let's talk about the second side of the tool, which is giving forgiveness. So I'm going to ask you a question. Do you tend to forgive people who wrong you? Now, I know you know you're supposed to say yes, but I'm asking, do you, do you actually do it? <laughs> because statistics tell us that only half the people do it. This is a University of Michigan study. They surveyed over 1,400 adults. 
And on the issue of forgiveness, and this is what they found, 75% are sure God has forgiven them for wrongs, but only 52% have actually forgiven others for their wrongs. The 52% who did forgive report steadier heart rates, lower blood pressure, and better what? Mental health. Forgiveness matters. Let me, let me show you what goes on. When you don't forgive someone, it does something dark up here. God did not wire you to hold on to unforgiveness. When you hold on to unforgiveness, it creates bitterness, resent, resentment, anger, and sometimes even hatred in your heart. And I'm just, I'm, I'm saying to you, your brain and your, your heart, your mind, you are not wired to hold on to bitterness and hatred in your soul. It does something dark to you and in you. And Jesus even addresses this uh, when, he, when he taught people the model prayer. Have you ever noticed, you know, he, those of you who know the model prayer, he says, forgive us our debts as we forgive those who, have, uh, who, have, who are our debtors. But at the very end of his prayer, if you'll read to where the prayer ends and he begins to unpack it, the only part he felt like he had to unpack was this forgiveness part. This is what Jesus said in, in Matthew 6, verses 14 through 15. Jesus said, for, he's given us the why now, for, if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you do not forgive others of their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Okay, wait a minute. Now, what does that mean? Well, let's first make sure we understand what it does not mean. Jesus is not saying if you don't forgive someone who has wronged you that you lose your salvation. If he wanted to say that, he could have said that, and that's not what he said. We are made right with God through our faith in Jesus alone, not by any act that we do. Well, then what does he mean? Well, he means just what he said. Is when, when you do not forgive someone else of their sin debt, God doesn't release you from yours. So you still stay under the burden that you feel. You see where I'm going with this? So, in one of Jesus' parables, he explains, he pictures what happens when we hold on to unforgiveness. He pictures unforgiveness like a prison, a prison of bitterness. And the thing about this prison is this is a prison we create and place ourselves into. Are you in a prison that you have created? A prison of bitterness and anger and hatred? The beautiful thing about this prison, though, is Jesus teaches in his parable that we hold the key to get out of it. <laughs> and the key is forgiveness. The key is forgiveness. Now, uh, Dr. Lewis Meads was a professor of psychology at Fuller Theological Seminary, and he wrote the best book on the subject of forgiveness that I've ever read. I encourage you to read it. It's called The Art of Forgiving. And in it, he asserts there's only four responses that we have when somebody wrongs us. You can seek revenge. That's where you try to hurt the person who hurt you. You can resent. That's where you hold on to bitterness and anger in an attempt to hurt the person who wronged you. You can repress. That's where you try to fake yourself out and act like the wrong didn't hurt you when it really did. Or you can forgive. That's where you acknowledge the wrong and you choose to forgive the sin debt. Now, as you know, I've been a pastor for over 30 years, as I've sought to lead people to forgive others who have wronged them, 
one of the toughest questions I've had to answer is, well, why should I forgive someone who hasn't asked for forgiveness? Why should I forgive someone who will never ask for forgiveness? Aren't I, aren't I letting th that person off the hook? You ever thought that? Well, Dr. Smeeds does a great job of answering that question. He writes, forgiveness is for us, not for the person who wronged us. Forgiveness is something good we do for ourselves. It releases us from the pain of the sin committed against us. We should not have to wait for permission from the person who wronged us. Then that gives him or her control over when we can get healed and move on. Do you hear what he's saying? Forgiveness frees. Forgiveness occurs where you acknowledge the sin debt and you choose to let it go. Forgiveness is for you. Forgiveness will make your life better. Forgiveness frees. Now, I heard a, a very moving story from one person who uh, wanted to tell me her story and gave me permission to tell her story to others. I'm gonna share it with you in her own relationship with mental health and uh, the prison of bitterness. Anyway, uh, her name is Sally. I met Sally when we were, uh, took a trip, a mission trip down to the orphanage that our church supports in Chihuahua, Mexico. And one morning at breakfast, Sally came up, sat by me and said, Pastor, I feel like I'm supposed to tell you my story. And so she told me her story. And this is, this is what happened. Uh, Sally uh, told me that as a young person, she believed in Jesus. She knew her destiny. She knew she, she uh, experienced forgiveness and she was God's child, that her destiny you know, was eternal life. But she also confided to me that she struggled for years and years with mental health issues. In fact, uh, she said doctors diagnosed her with severe depression, PTSD, and bipolar disorder. Uh, and she told me that over, over the 30 years that she struggled with mental health issues, that she considered sui suicidal thoughts, suicide as a way of ending her pain. And uh, again, like my mom, whose story I told you last week, the only reason she didn't do it is because she didn't believe that's what God wanted her to do. But she, she experienced a very painful, you know, lengthy season in her life. She told me that she got to the point where she just resigned herself that she would never be normal. That, that was her term. And she told me that ultimately she came to see that she was in a prison and it was a prison she created. This is what happened. Sally told me that throughout her childhood, her father had sexually abused her. When she got old enough to get out from under that house, she did. She ended up getting some healing, still had some struggles, but got some healing. She started a family of her own. Uh, she you know, stayed connected to her dad. Her dad told her that he had changed and she believed him. Anyway, she allowed him to be involved in, in her life. Well, she came to find out that her dad had sexually abused her three daughters. And she said, when she found that out, something clicked. And she said, I became so filled with anger and rage and hatred. I hated my father. And she said that coincided though with the deterioration of her mental health. And she told me she, she went in and out of psychiatric hospitals. She took all kinds of strong pain, uh, not, I mean, uh, of uh, mental health meds in an attempt to, to bring healing into her life. She told me at times she lost custody of her children because of her mental illness. 
She told me that, that throughout all of the, that time, the only time she felt peace was when she was in church. And she told me that one Sunday, the pastor was teaching on forgiveness like I just taught you. And she said as she was sitting there listening to him, listening to him speak, she sensed God say to her, forgive him. And she knew who the him was. And she told me that she, she sort of argued back with God, no, I can't, I can't forgive him. He's hurt everybody I love and he's hurt me. But she sensed God say to her again, forgive him. And there that morning, she made a courageous decision and she forgave her father. She forgave him of the abuse, of the lying, of the manipulation, everything. And she told me when she forgave her father, something happened. She said, it felt like a purging of everything within me. And she told me that she, she began to feel a kind of joy in her life that she had never known. And she told me that over time she noticed her mind was clearer. She began to feel mentally better. And under her doctor's care, she gradually got off of all of her uh, mental health meds. And that morning she was sitting in Chihuahua, Mexico with joy in her life, experiencing an abundant life. And one of her daughters was sitting there with her. Sally was free. She took the tool of forgiveness and she got free. And I, you know, I told you, I don't want to give any simplistic answers. I tell you Sally's story in particular because she took advantage of all kinds of tools in her journey toward healing. She saw therapists and psychologists and counselors. She saw uh, psychiatrists and medical professionals, and they all did their part to help her on the road to healing. And then ultimately, she, she heard her pastor talk about forgiveness, and she finally got healed. And today, I want to conclude my time with you by allowing you to take this tool and use it in your life. And so I'm going to ask if everybody would just, you know, be still. I, I know the ones with kids, y'all go ahead. You know, we, we understand. But I want to help you use this tool of forgiveness today. You ready? And I'm going to lead you to pray. There's three different prayers. So if you would bow your heads, close your eyes. For some of you, you would say, you know, pastor, I've never believed in Jesus. So I don't even, I don't even have this tool in my toolbox. Well, I'm going I'm to lead you in a prayer to, to experience forgiveness and to put your faith in Jesus. So I'm, I'm inviting you to whisper this prayer. God, I believe in you. And I believe Jesus is your son. And I believe he died on the cross to pay my sin debt. Yes. And so I put my trust in him. And I ask you to forgive me. And Lord, I, I ask you to do what you promised you would do. You promised that when people put their trust in you, that you would forgive all their sins and remove the burden of guilt. Just lift it right off of them right now. Thank you, Lord. Second prayer is for those of you who are already believers, but you sense that the burden you're feeling is guilt over some sin. I'm gonna lead you to confess it and to receive forgiveness. You ready? I'm inviting you to pray, to maybe just to whisper this prayer. God, I know you want to forgive me. And so today I confess my sin. I did wrong when I did this, and just name it. What was it you did? Did you steal something? Did you speak a hurtful word to someone? Just what did you do? God, I did wrong 
when I did this. God, I ask you to forgive me of my sin and to cleanse me from all of the guilt, yes. Lord, I ask you to cleanse right now those who are confessing their sins. Just cleanse it away. The third prayer, the final prayer, is for those of you who realize that the burden you're feeling is bitterness or unforgiveness. I'm gonna lead you in praying a prayer to forgive the person who has wronged you. And, and this needs to be the person who first came into your mind when I mentioned forgiving someone. Don't think of someone it'd be easier to forgive. You know how we can do that? We can find someone easier to forgive and not forgive the person we need to forgive. Who's the person that first came in your mind when I mentioned that? I want you to forgive that person today. I'm gonna lead you through this prayer. You ready? God, I know you love me. And I thank you for forgiving me of my sins. And you ask me to forgive others. So today I choose to forgive. Name the person and what they did. I forgive Bob for this. I forgive Mary for this. I forgive maybe one of your parents or a sibling for this. I forgive. I forgive their sin debt. And Lord, as we have forgiven those who have wronged us, open up the door, the prison of bitterness, and we're walking out. We're, not, we're choosing not to live there anymore. And so my prayer is that you relieve people from any bitterness they have felt, from any anger they have felt, from any hatred they have felt. Fill their hearts with love and joy and peace. In Jesus' name, amen, amen.